0: In the late 70s, a merciless serial killer began to strike in New York and New Jersey. It was a very big story because of how gruesome it was. His methods, heinous and extreme.
1: These were very bizarre and bloody crimes. Beheaded, burnt, chopped up.
0: He killed with callous confidence.
2: Some narcissists absolutely believe they are invisible, they're untouchable.
0: It was the second case.
3: Of a woman's body being found on the premises of this motel but who
0: was this serial sadist
4: what sick son of a bitch would do something like this
0: and was he born to kill In 1977, New Jersey Detective Alan Greco was about to be confronted by a mystery. We received
3: a call that a young married woman was reported missing from her apartment complex in Little Ferry, New Jersey under suspicious circumstances. Mary Ann was an x-ray technician who had uh, been married a short period of time. They lived in a garden apartment. There were very strange circumstances in that uh, uh, the report came from her husband
0: who was away on a business trip. Mary Ann Carr had failed to keep an appointment that evening with her mother-in-law. Concerned, Mary Ann's husband called the police. There did not appear to be anything broken
3: in the apartment, no broken uh, glasses, no forced entry on the door. And we had no indication at all as to what had
0: happened to Marianne Carr. Despite her husband's reported absence, there had been a suspicious sighting at the time of Marianne's disappearance.
1: We had a witness who uh, lived in the same apartment building. Who said that as he was backing his car out of the uh, parking lot, he saw a person in his rearview mirror that he thought was Marianne Carr's husband.
0: Although they didn't know it at the time, Marianne's husband bore a likeness to a former resident of the Little Ferry Apartments, a successful New York computer operator,
5: Richard Francis Cottingham. He worked in what they refer to as Midtown, Manhattan, right in the heart of the uh, business district for Luke Frost Blue Shield, which is a very substantial insurance company.
0: Fellow computer operator Dominic Volpe worked with Cottingham for 13 years.
4: I and Richard worked on the console together, chatting a lot. He was well-read, he was uh, up-to-date on current events, He he read a lot of stuff about medicine. He was pretty smart. At the time, a console operator was a big thing. It took four floors of a complete square block of a city for 17 megs of memory. OK? No one ever heard of a gigabyte then, but it was the cutting edge at the time. The thing that I noticed most about him is he could not sit still. He was always, uh, I called him the leg shaker. He was always sitting in his office chair, yeah, shaking. His legs were shaking, his back was shaking, and he would he would keep that up for the, a whole shift for eight, nine hours straight.
0: Across the river in New Jersey, investigating the disappearance of X-ray technician Mary Ann Carr, Detective Greco was called to a motel near the airport. In the parking lot, a body had been discovered. He was clothed in a white nurse's uniform.
3: Marianne Carr was no longer a missing person, but now the victim of a homicide. We could observe Marianne Carr's body lying in this area between the curb and the fence.
1: Marianne Carr's body uh, had uh, ligature marks on the uh, wrists and the ankles from handcuffs. So we know that uh, we knew that handcuffs were used in Marianne Carr's murder. And she had a ligature mark along the aspect of her neck.
0: Investigators speculated Marianne had been dumped from the trunk of a car, but they had no solid leads we had no idea of how
3: she had gotten to where she was found nor why she was there nor who would have been responsible for removing her from her apartment
0: and taking her there however it wouldn't be the last time they would be called to that location a tale of terror and torture had only just begun In December of 1977, the body of married x-ray technician Marianne Carr had been discovered dumped in the parking lot of a New Jersey motel. With no real leads, Detective Alan Greco faced frustration as the investigation ground to a halt.
3: You need to have the investigation leads you in a particular direction without that direction it's like a shotgun blast that you're covering all of these uh, different things that 99 percent of them have no connection whatsoever
0: while Marianne Carr's case stalled police were kept busy by a series of violent attacks in the airport area There were actually
3: a number of incidents of sexual assaults that had taken place within that time period in which victims were either found on the side of the roadway or reported to be in motel rooms, semi-conscious.
0: The attacks were perpetrated on prostitutes who had been picked up in New York City where New Jersey resident Richard Cottingham worked as a computer operator.
4: He was strange. I mean, most of the stuff we talked about, other than the job uh, at the time, was stuff that he, uh, he did after work, supposedly. You know, he talked about s and clubs he'd go to, he talked about prostitutes.
0: Cottingham made no secret of his enjoyment of New York's red light district.
1: New York City, at that time, was a very different place than it is now. The Times Square uh, area was a virtual cesspool. Porno houses uh, up and down the block. Streetwalkers for blocks around.
0: Photojournalist Alan Tannenbaum captured the Times Square area while working for the SoHo News.
6: It was rampant, it was all over the place, but especially concentrated in the few blocks around here. It was quite funky, very seedy. I can, I can give you an example right around the corner. we've
1: got three strippers right here. You strip together, you stick together. Everybody loves a stripper.
6: Come on in. All right. The girls would work on these corners by the subway entrances, in doorways, close to the peep shows. And solicit, asking uh, men uh, going out want a date, and or, or the men would approach them. It was pretty obvious who was a working girl. Eighth Avenue was one of the more uh, seedy parts of this strip. In fact, it used to be called the Minnesota Strip. Uh, that's because girls would uh, come to New York City from the Midwest get off at the Port Authority and they would immediately uh, get hustled by pimps who would put them into prostitution. I think a lot of them were, were runaways and a bit naive and probably not arriving with a lot of money so that they would get trapped into this kind of situation.
0: Now these young women were being plucked from the city streets and brutally assaulted.
7: Prostitutes are very, very common victims. Why? The hardest thing in getting a victim is the abduction. How do you get a woman to go with you? Um, you have to talk to her, and even if you could talk well and you're somewhat articulate and charming and engaging, not all women are gonna go with a stranger. The problem with the abduction is eliminated by targeting prostitutes. That's part of their job description, to go with strangers, take their clothes off, uh, and have sex.
0: The victims were being drugged, beaten, and dumped in an area just across the river in New Jersey, not far from where the body of X-ray technician Marianne Carr had been found. There's a lot of motels
3: in the area, and they're not high-class motels, they're uh, places that are used for uh, hour traffic, much of it from New York City
0: one of the patrons of those motels was computer operator Richard Cottingham
4: he used to talk about uh, how he would be able to lure a prostitute out of Manhattan showing them he always had two pockets full of cash and tons of cash thousands of dollars he would show a prostitute the cash he would take them to New Jersey
0: but Cottingham it seemed didn't like the idea of paying for his pleasure
4: he talked about not letting anybody uh get the best of him one time we had a long discussion about this hotel that he went to and how he could slip out of the place you know when she was asleep and take her everything. he said he took her clothes and her money and left her in the room you know when you're at work and you're talking some of it you believe some of it you don't believe you take, you take the you know it goes in one ear out the other you take it with a grain of salt
0: meanwhile the attacks on the new york working girls continued Dumped, discarded, and left for dead.
3: One of the girls was left in this motel on the corner here called the Airport Motel.
1: She had been picked up. She was brought to a bar in New York City called Flanagan's, and that's the last thing she could recall.
0: Near a major hospital, Flanagan's Bar, was a popular haunt for Richard Cottingham.
1: An analysis of her blood and urine uh, indicated that she was drugged.
0: The young victim had been subjected to a horrifically violent ordeal. When she was
3: found, she was unconscious in the room and uh, she was in pretty bad shape.
1: He sodomized her. Um, He beat her um, very, very severely, bit her
7: breasts very uh, severely. Prostitutes are sexual service providers, and that offends many serial sexual murderers. As ironic as it sounds, many serial sexual murderers view themselves as highly moralistic and they want to degrade prostitutes who are behaving in what they consider to be um, an unpermissible sexual conduct. They're very, very mixed up sexually and so you would think that they would understand prostitutes and relate to them and understand, but they don't. They have very, very twisted sense of sexuality.
0: this targeting of prostitutes in December 1979 would send shockwaves throughout the city
8: it was a very big story even for Manhattan it was very big I clearly remember it because if only
0: because of how gruesome it was emergency services had been alerted to a fire in a room at the Travel Inn Motor Lodge near Times Square there, they found 23-year-old Didi Gadarzi and another unidentified young woman. They were two alleged prostitutes that
3: were discovered in beds in a motel room and the bodies
0: had been desecrated. Each woman's head and hands had been cut off before the beds were ignited.
1: Beheaded, burnt, chopped up, and nobody knew who was responsible. It was a mystery.
0: The gruesome nature of the crime led to the mystery perpetrator being dubbed the Times Square Ripper. News hit the Manhattan computer room where Dominic Bopé and Richard Cottingham worked.
4: This guy, his name was Rob, he came in and he said, What sick son of a bitch would do something like this? Take the heads and the hands off a girl and burn them in, Right. So I looked at Cottingham and he shook his head like this and said, well, Rob it could have been you. It could have been me. I thought, was, I thought it was a joke.
0: In December of 1979, New York had been shocked by a grisly double murder in a motel room near Times Square. Dee Dee Godarzy, a known prostitute and another unidentified female had had their heads and hands cut off and removed before the room was set ablaze. But the depraved crime appeared to have no connection to the murder two years earlier of X-ray technician Marianne Carr, her body found in the parking lot of a New Jersey motel.
3: It did not seem to have any connection to our case. Uh, It happened in New York City. Uh, With the bodies being desecrated the way they were, New York City had a tremendous amount of homicides every day, so there was no
7: direct connection made at that time. This is an important point because we found in our research that about 70% of serial sexual murderers will experiment at a crime scene and do something very, very different with one victim that they had not done with the other, such as cut their eyes out, cut their vagina out, and so on. Now, when an investigator without extensive experience in this field looks at that, one victim looks so very different, they're led to believe, at least from their own experience, that it has to be someone else. That's incorrect.
0: However, detectives were about to be called to a scene with a similarity that couldn't be ignored. At the same location where Marianne Carr had been found two and a half years earlier.
3: A chambermaid was cleaning the room and uh, thought she detected what was a foul odor coming from the bed area. Lifting the mattress from the frame, she was startled to see the uh, naked, handcuffed body of a female, deceased female, lying there. It was extremely frightening and disturbing to the chambermaid, to say the least.
1: Of that woman, who we some time later uh, learned was Valerie Ann Street, who had been a prostitute in New York City. On her lower back, there was an abrasion, uh, which had been made by a sharp object. Uh, We thought at the time it was a knife.
7: That was torture marks. It's eroticized the power and control that the offender has over the victim to make the victim realize that he, the offender, is in control of life and death. And so very often the offender will prolong her agony to kill her in a very, very slow and deliberate way so that she's aware that he's going to kill her.
0: A monster was on the loose, and it was clear he wasn't afraid to return to the scene of his crimes that
3: was the second case of a woman's body being found on the premises of this particular motel
2: I think that the fact that he'd use the same hotel is narcissism and that brings us to the concept of narcissistic immunity some narcissists absolutely believe they are invisible they're untouchable they're so superior to everybody else that there's no chance that they're ever gonna get caught
0: as if to prove the killer right Identifying a suspect seemed impossible.
1: We had no idea who the perpetrator of the murder of Valerie Ann Street was.
0: Meanwhile, in the computer room of a large New York insurance firm, Dominic Volpe would listen in disbelief to fellow operator and family man Richard Cottingham as he openly discussed his predilection for the city's dark entertainments.
4: He was very upfront about it. He bragged about prostitutes, S&M, gambling, all those vices that he had, he bragged about.
0: Cottingham claimed to be a regular visitor to sadomasochistic clubs.
4: He would describe things that went on there. He talked about a woman that was, was walking around with a guy on a leash. He was on his knees. He would walk into the bathroom. Cottingham would follow him and watch this. The girl made him lick the urinals with his tongue. He liked the slave thing, you know, handcuffs and treating people, you know, that, are, that had no way of helping themselves.
0: It seems from an early age, Richard Cottingham liked being in control. In Pascack Valley, New Jersey, Richard Newman had been on the same high school track team.
8: I met Richard on the athletic field. Richard stood apart in the sense that he wasn't always at practice as I remember. He um, wasn't a joiner, he didn't have a nickname, he wasn't part of our little clique. He had a kind of wise guy attitude about him, dismissive of teachers and of school in general. I don't think he was crazy about authority.
2: He would stand out from groups. It's common for narcissists who believe they're better than others. and. It- Obviously, they're at heart insecure, but he just has disdain for what other people are doing and doesn't really want to be invested in it. He thinks he's superior to everybody else.
4: He was kind of
8: a big guy, several inches taller than me, I'm sure, broad shoulders. I don't remember him menacing students in general. I do remember that the two or three friends of his that he seemed to lord it over them a bit like he was the leader of the pack so to speak he was certainly attracted to women but my recollection is that he did not have a girlfriend when he spoke about women it was kind of in a negative way being in the locker room reminds you of the expression locker room talk i certainly remember him talking among his friends and perhaps in gym class if i remember about what girls were attractive to him. And the only inkling you would have of the way his mind works is that he would talk about um, the girls in class, or I guess the girls out on the street too, who were perhaps uh, were better endowed uh, in a larger breasted. That just seemed to be sort of a key attraction for him.
2: it's one thing to have an interest in large-breasted women because you think they're attractive it's another to have an obsession with the breasts not the women the breasts and that then becomes what we call a paraphilia or an abnormal um, sexual interest that is needed for arousal
0: now in his mid-30s Richard Cottingham would brag to his co-workers about his use of prostitutes but it seems Cottingham did not enjoy all aspects of the vice trade.
4: I heard one conversation about he had a venereal disease that he contracted through a prostitute. And at that point, he, was, he, was, he, was, he sounded angry when he mentioned the, the hookers.
0: Less than two weeks after the discovery of the second body at the New Jersey motel, the Times Square Ripper struck again in New York. In a burning hotel bedroom, the body of another young working girl was found. Both breasts had been sliced off and removed.
7: In almost all serial sexual murder cases, they will go above and beyond killing the individual and engage in post-mortem activity that to them is sexually gratifying. This type of ritualistic behavior grows out of the offender's fantasy life. And very often, as a series of murders occurs, the individual's behavior becomes much more elaborate. As the offender gains much more comfort in killing, the ritualistic behavior is apt to become more personalized and more embellished.
0: With the depraved killer on the loose, police in New York and New Jersey were in a state of frustration. But one week later, the killer would make an uncharacteristic mistake and reveal himself for the first time. Over the course of two years, a series of brutal assaults and murders had occurred in New York and New Jersey. So far, the sadistic perpetrator had been clever enough to escape detection. But in May, 1980, he would make a mistake. And yet again, the motel in New Jersey would be the focus.
3: There was a great deal of excitement uh, when we got the call from the HasbroKites Police Department which said that they had just apprehended a suspect attempting to flee from the motel. The motel front desk was alerted to a disturbance in one of the rooms. They decided to send one of their representatives to make sure that the occupants were okay. It took several minutes for someone to be coaxed to the door. Verbally, she said, yes, everything is okay, but with her eyes, gave the impression that everything was not okay.
0: The motel staff immediately called the police, and an officer was dispatched.
3: And when he responded, he responded to that area of the motel towards the farthest corner where there is an entrance. A man was observed running out of the building in a suspicious manner, carrying a bag in his hand.
5: And at the time of his arrest, he had the handcuffs, tape, used to either place over the mouths of the women or bind their hands or feet or what have you. So all of these items were incriminating, and he had no real explanation for it. The fleeing man was identified as
0: Richard Francis Cottingham of Lodi, New Jersey.
1: He had uh, a wife and children. He's a computer operator in New York City.
5: He was in his mid-30s. He was kind of stocky. He was at at least average-looking, except, again, as I say, he was kind of stocky. Well-built, you might say.
1: His wife, she described him, uh, to my recollection, as a devoted husband. Uh, She said that he was very attentive uh, to his children.
0: Despite being virtually caught in the act,
5: Richard Cottingham professed his innocence. He just flat-out denied it. And I, you know, I found it very difficult to accept. They sort of caught him red-handed, as one might say. He
3: was somewhat smug in his uh, attitude and his answers, although at one point he indicated, the only thing I'll say is that I have a problem with women.
0: Investigators immediately moved to search Cottingham's New Jersey home. We
3: prepared a search warrant to look for any evidence that might be associated with female abduction, rape, murder. This is the street that Richard Cottingham lived on.
0: Cottingham resided with his wife and children in a two-family home in a pleasant suburban setting.
3: There's a middle-class neighborhood, I would describe it as, uh, working-class people. Nothing would stand out of the ordinary. He seemed to be a normal dad and husband. It's what we didn't know was hidden underneath. He truly was a monster.
0: Inside the family home, detectives would discover evidence of a man who reveled in sadistic murder.
1: In the lower basement of his home he had a large room which was locked, which his wife or his children did not have access to.
5: Now this guy married with three children, but he has in this room, I suppose one could refer to them as souvenirs or memorabilia or whatever you want to call it, items that he took from these women after he tortured them and, and murdered them.
2: People that we call organized serial killers often take trophies. They will take something from victims, uh, like an earring or a shoe or a piece of clothing, a purse. They're like big game hunters. The trophy room helps them to relive those moments where they felt most in control. The trophy room is a nice metaphor for this compartmentalized life. This is the place where they go to just completely fully indulge in their narcissistic fantasies of what they've done to other people.
0: Now the successful computer operator, husband and father, was identified as the Times Square Ripper and murderer of the women at the New Jersey Motel. His capture stunned those who had known him.
4: At work it was like it was unbelievable. No one talked about anything else. You hear, Tiny even got arrested and blah, blah, blah. And it was articles in the newspaper being copied every day. And he talked about crazy things, but we never thought he would do crazy things. You know, I got chills on my arm just thinking about it now, 35 years later. So, so, I mean, it was a complete shock.
0: Among his co workers, Cottingham had never made any secret of his vices of prostitution, sadomasochism, and gambling.
4: He was a gambler. Uh, He was not afraid to take chances on anything. He usually won. I would say 95% of the time he was a winner. He always said that he can get out of anything. There was nothing to take him over. In other words, he would always win. He used that gambling thing in his head for everything that he did. He was a winner.
0: Now, Richard Cuttingham was gambling on his ability to outwit his accusers and beat the legal system during his trial. He seemed to be a, a very conscious participant
3: uh, along with his attorney, taking notes, paying very close attention to the testimony of the victims and of the witnesses against
5: him. You could sense that he was calculating all the time. I came to the conclusion that he was um, devious at best. After several weeks in court, everybody, of course, the, the jury, the judge, court officers, everybody sort of had the same impression.
1: Mr. Cottingham was a very intelligent man. He was not as intelligent as he thought he was. He thought he was more intelligent than everybody else. That was that was part of his personality.
0: Cottingham denied all the crimes and claimed that on the one occasion he'd been caught at the motel with prostitute Leslie Ann O'Dell, the activities had been consensual. What's more, despite the advice of his lawyers, Cottingham insisted on personally taking the stand.
5: That was explained to him. You're gonna be cross-examined. And uh, there are a lot of holes in your story that probably will be exposed but he he wanted to testify.
7: A guy like Cunningham enjoys being smarter than other people, particularly the law enforcement. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room, no matter where he is. He wants to show everyone his brilliance and how smart he is.
1: I started my cross-examination by getting him to admit the things that he could not deny, as any good prosecutor would do. He could not deny that he was arrested with multiple pairs of handcuffs. Handcuffs were used in the murders of Valerie Ann Street and Marianne Carr. They were used in the assault on Leslie Ann O'Dell. He could not deny that he had mouth suppressants. He could not deny that he had a knife, and a knife was used against Valerie Ann Street to torture her on the lower back. Could not deny that. He could not deny that he had the barbiturate pills in his satchel. Barbiturates were used on one of the uh, victims that he had uh, sexually assaulted and thrown on the roadside. He could not deny that he bit Leslie Ann O'Dell's breasts. He could not deny it because it was in the photographs. Part of the assault on Valerie Ann Street.
0: On the stand, Cottingham was forced to admit that he'd had a fascination with bondage since his childhood.
1: From everything that uh, we were able to piece together, he had a typical upbringing, a middle class, lower middle class family, very close to his mother.
0: Cottingham had been born in the Bronx, then later moved with his family to the leafy Pascack Valley in New Jersey. His home was about two miles from where
8: I uh, lived. It was a great area to grow up in. There was plenty of parks and open space. Yeah, this is it here. This is where he lived. A modest home set back from the road. Um, I didn't go in the house, but but I remember that this is where he lived. I know his mother was devoted to him
7: these individuals are in very dark and perverse sexually sadistic fantasies from very very early on the fantasy driven crimes like serial sexual murder begins 10 15 20 years earlier in the offender's mind
0: cuttingham would claim that his deviant desires had grown out of the use of pornography
2: it's a common trajectory with sadistic sexual serial murders is to begin with ordinary pornography, even just erotic literature, even just catalogs that show women in underwear. Some people stop at various stages because they don't really like the rest. They're fine with the tame stuff. Others want more. And if that is what appeals to them and excites them and arouses them, they will continue to get more and more extreme with it not all serial killers are sadistic sexual murderers those who are tend to become very extreme with what they do to their victims
0: a portrait developed of a monster with a devious
5: method of operation he would go out on the street meet these girls say to them I want to take you out not just to have sex in the car or some such thing but I'd like to take you to a restaurant. I just won a lot of money uh, in a card game or gambling. And he would show them a wad of money with a $100 bill around it. And Of course, I guess these girls were impressed. They would go to dinner with him and at some point he would drug them. And then he was able to lead them out of the place into his car and take them to a motel and sexually assault them, plus cut them and try to torture them. That's the kind of person he is.
0: As the evidence mounted, Cottingham faced the prospect of spending the rest of his life in prison. Still, by hook or by crook, the killer was determined to win his freedom.
3: I had briefly left the courtroom and gone downstairs to my office, and as I came back into the courtroom, I immediately saw the matron in a a frenzy running from the area of the holding cell and without her saying a word I knew that he escaped
0: after taking the stand in his own defense for multiple assaults and murders Richard Cottingham was faced with the likely prospect of a life behind bars during a break in proceedings he decided to make an audacious bid for freedom.
1: took a jacket and threw it uh, against the sheriff's officer's face, befuddled the sheriff's officer and went about one of the back stairways.
3: I could see him running from the courthouse across the street. We chased him uh, across the street. Another sheriff's officer had spotted him as well, and we both tackled him on the street and uh, put him in handcuffs and restrained him and brought him back to the courthouse.
0: Richard Cottingham would not elude authorities again. He was found guilty and condemned to spend the rest of his life in prison. But was this serial sadist mad, bad, or born to kill? What makes them think they're gonna get away with it? That's what I
8: dwell on more than anything else. What makes them think they can continue to do it and have this smug attitude and exercise this, this awful power over people? There's lots of things inside our mentality, inside our personality that tell us not to do it. If only that that's a fellow human being and that they have loved ones at home.
2: Those who are psychopathic absolutely have no remorse for what they're doing. They don't really care about people being in pain unless they're a sadist then they care because they want them to be in pain. Um, so they're, a psychopath and a sadist are not one and the same, but if you get the two in combination you have a very, very dangerous person. Some people
1: might have uh, trophies for uh, their exploits in baseball or basketball or golf. Um, or awards that they get for community service. These were his trophies, these were his conquests, these were uh, his criminal activities, which he had gotten away with. And these were his trophies of how intelligent he was, uh, how charming he was, and how smarter than everyone else he was.
7: Cunningham is pretty much a very classic serial sexual murderer. The best way to understand serial sexual murder is to view it as a deviant sexual arousal pattern where sex and aggression become fused and the aggressive act itself is eroticized, whether it's choking or cutting or stabbing. In regular sexual intercourse in normal conditions, there is some level of pain inflicted and received and there's some level of biting and these sorts of things. In serial sexual murder those particular behaviors are exaggerated enormously and really take a life on of their own.
3: I think there is something in their genetic makeup. I think it is a twisted mind that associates sex with harm, hurt, Injury and death.
2: I think uh, someone who's a psychopath already starts at a disadvantage. Um, as he then gets exposed to things that lure him into wanting power over other people, and in particular being a sadistic type of person, um, the the idea of being born to kill comes pretty close to him. In
0: 2010. The incarcerated Cottingham admitted to the murder of Nancy Vogel in 1967 when he was just 20 years old, and Cottingham is suspected of several other possible slayings. One thing is for certain, for those who met him and were lucky enough to survive, Richard Cottingham, torturer, murderer,
5: mutilator, will never be forgotten. He was far different than people that I've met, and I've met some people from all kinds of bad backgrounds or bad situations, but he, I think, is intrinsically evil.
4: You know, you fool around with hookers, you fool around with nurses, you fool around with this, you fool around with that, fine. A lot of people do that. Nobody kills people, nobody decapitates people, nobody rips people's hands off. I think he's a sick son of a bitch.